message today on Joseph is surrounding when he revealed who he was to his brothers. And it was shocking. If you have your Bibles today, open to Genesis chapter 45. But so we learned some things from Joseph. And what we, what we, what we talked about last week, we talked about when he, we opened up with where he was sharing his dreams to his brothers. Now in that culture, the older never bowed to the younger. In that culture, you bowed to those that were older than you. That's just the way it was. And uh, so Joseph has this dream, and he tells his brothers that at some point, they're going to bow to him. Now that just was sort of the, the capper for these guys. Now you, you talk about his father, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. And it's interesting to note that those 12 sons really are the tribes of Israel. Did you know that? Quite interesting. And uh, now Jacob, early on, spotted his wife. If you remember, this, quite interesting. So he works for a number of years for his father-in-law to get the wife that he just loves. I mean, the, his fiance. I can't wait to marry this beautiful girl. And, and when I get to heaven, I'm going to talk to Jacob about this. Because on the honeymoon night, his father-in-law did a switcheroo. Took the older daughter that Jacob didn't want to marry. All right. Now, there must have been some wild wine at that party. I don't know. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him, how did, you know, if you love the other one so much, I mean, I don't know. What's, I mean, I, I have these questions. But when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him. So then he had to work another number of years to get the wife of his dreams. So he was a polygamist. I don't understand that either. Okay? I live in Utah, and Utah is rampant with polygamy. Jan and I were at, at Olive Garden here a while back, and this guy walked in, and his five wives followed him. Oldest, and then, I mean, the way they do it, the oldest will follow him, and then the next in age, and right down the line. Uh, I had a guy that lived, when I was there years ago, that had 39 wives and 169 kids. He lived about six blocks from us. He died early. I'm just kidding, I don't know. I don't know, but I'm just having a little fun with you this morning. So now, so back to Jacob, when he had his first son with the wife of his dreams, he named him Joseph, and he loved Joseph. And he loved him more than the other boys, and I don't understand that either, it's not right, but he did, okay? We're just, this, I'm just talking the Bible here. And then he had another younger son named Benjamin. And those two boys were the apple of his eye. But uh, Joseph, his firstborn with his second wife, was his favorite. Dressed him up in this uh, phenomenal uh, tunic and uh, his, that was in agriculture. They were shepherds. And now his brothers are out working the flocks and he's half the time not having to work there. He's home with dad, you know, dad's favorite boy. And dressed like he could be on the cover of Gentleman Quarterly magazine. So one day his dad sends him out. Now, but he'd had this dream and said, hey, hey, you know, you guys are going to bow down to me sometime. I had this dream and, you know, he used agricultural terms. You know, your sheep's going to bow down to me. And, and they're not only is in the favorite, but now they're very mad at him. He's got the special clothes. I'm sure when, when, he was, when, he was, when he was born, they went to Baby Gap and they didn't go to Walmart to buy the clothes. And I mean, I mean, he just irritated. Some of you know what I'm talking about, but just, it's just free stuff. And so all of this had built up over the years. And then even when he had the dream and told his brothers, you're going to bow down to me, and then he told his dad, you're going to bow down to me too. And this ticked off his dad. He said, son, who do you think you are? That your mom and I are going to bow down to you? 
Well, but there's a little phrase. It says in there, but, jo but Jacob kept this in his heart because he loved the boy. Maybe there's something to these dreams. But man, I'm not going to bow down to him. I love him, and he's my favorite, but I'm not going to bow down to him. Well, then he sends him out to see how his brothers are doing, and here comes the dreamer with his coat, and, you know, I don't know, maybe he had a nice, I don't know what he had. But his brothers were so mad, so upset, that all but one of them said, let's kill him. Reuben said, no, 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 don't kill him. So they took his coat, killed an animal, faked his death, threw him in a pit. All of a sudden, he goes from favorite into a pit. And they still were thinking, what are they going to do with him? And then the Ishmaelites come up over, they're traders, and they said, well, sell him. And they got 20 pieces of silver when they sold him. And they sold him to the Egyptian guards named Potiphar. And he took over, he put him over his household. And the Bible says that Potiphar's house was blessed because Joseph was there. Now, I do a whole series of messages on how to make your work work for you. Some of you might have heard those in years past. But how many of you go to work, and when you walk out of work, everybody's saying, man, they are the best employee. They bless our, our company. You know what I mean? Think about that. But he's a slave. I mean, and I'm sure he would be thinking, this isn't fair, as he's vacuuming or whatever he did, or sweeping up in the stables. And, and the Bible says that the house was blessed because he was there. See, he was, to reach his destiny or to reach his purpose, he had to go through a process. Now, the process wasn't any fun. How many know when you go through rough stuff, it's not any fun? And sometimes the rough stuff can get you mad at your wife, at your husband, can get you mad at your boss, can get you mad at your political figures or whatever. I mean, we've seen plenty of that now, haven't we, in this state? Are you there? I live in Utah. They don't do that there. They just have polygamy and all that stuff. So then, in the midst of this, he's, he's a young guy, and Mrs. Potiphar starts chasing him around and wants to get him into the bedroom. And this went on for, we don't know exactly how long, but she was tempting him, tempting him. And finally, she got so exasperated because he would not perform an immoral act with her, he said to her, I can't do this great thing against God. And, and she grabbed his cloak and says, lay with me, and he ran. And now he gets falsely accused by her of attempted rape. Now he ends up in prison. Now let me just tell you, what, what I'm trying to tell you is, life sometimes, now not that you get thrown, but there are figurative pits, he got thrown into a real pit. There's, re, there's figurative slavery, you could be a slave to some habit. Maybe you're not owned by, by Potiphar, but there's something that can enslave you. So I believe that, some, and some of you are in the pit of despair because of things that have happened. Some of you are enslaved by habits that grip you and, 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 and pull at you. And then some of you get into prison because of whatever's going on in your life. And, and now, if, if you're the innocent person, Joseph was innocent, other than being a, his father's favorite. Now, he was, when he was born, like this little baby back here, he didn't say the first words to his dad, hey, dad, I want to be your favorite, duh. No, you know, it wasn't his fault. So now he's in prison. And this is over a period of 13 years. Yet he kept a good attitude in the midst of it all. And, you know, if you've got Christ in you, the Bible says, let this attitude be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. 
right? So now he's in prison. But let me just tell you, all of this stuff is a process that God had arranged for him. So now he's in prison. The Bible said it wasn't long. He was running the prison. For the, I mean, it's amazing. When, it, when the prisoner is running the prison, you know that he's got something going. You know what something going is? So then the Pharaoh had, had uh, put his butler and his cupbearer, uh, not the butler, his cupbearer and baker in jail. And both of them had a dream. And they were troubled by the dream. Joseph's a dreamer. God gives him dreams. He said, let me hear your dream, because the God who I serve will give you the answer. So he starts with the cupbearer and says, in three days, this dream that you have, you're going to be restored back to Pharaoh. And the baker's all excited, thinking, I'm going to get good news. And then he interprets the baker's dream and said, you're going to get cooked. I'm sure it happened. Three days later, the cupbearer is back with the Pharaoh, and they, they killed the baker. Now, let me just show you how God works, all right? He's put in a pit. He's put in Potiphar's house. He's put in prison. Now, there's some peas there, aren't there? Right? Pit, Potiphar, prison, and the next one's the palace. This stuff works. Now, if you read my book, on Nehemiah. Nehemiah became a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. Now, the, the situation is, in that climate, the, the, the kings or the pharaohs would surround themselves with family. They would surround themselves with their military leaders, bodyguards, all of that stuff. You didn't, you know, you just couldn't go knock on the palace door and, you know, hit the knocker or ring the doorbell and say, hey, I'd like to see the pharaoh. Can I? No, you don't get close to him because they were constantly being protected because of coups and people wanted to eliminate them. So the people that got close to the pharaoh were family, military people, bodyguards, and guess who? The cupbearer. History says that the cupbearer had the ear of the king. That didn't mean you know, that he carried his ear around, but he was able to speak to him. That was a phraseology. So what is God doing? He know, if you've read all of the story, and I, I, I'm, I'm the kind of guy, I like to read the last chapter first so that I can be comfortable until I get to the end. But I know the ending of the story. So, but, so what was God doing through all of these troubled situations? He was positioning, there's another P, for the purpose, for the pit to the Potiphar to the prison. To, all right, isn't that fun with all the P's? You can. He was positioning Joseph next to the cupbearer because then he would put him back next to the Pharaoh, and, and two years later, when the Pharaoh's having these unbelievable dreams, that none of his sorcerers or magicians or witchcraft and, could interpret. And Joseph had told him two years earlier, hey, I'm in jail here, I'm not guilty. If you get a chance, say something to the Pharaoh. Two years went by, he never said anything. Then when, when this whole troubling situation with the dream the Pharaoh is having, the cupbearer, who was close to him, unique, because if that would have been the baker, they didn't let the baker close, he just stayed in the bake shop. The cupbearer is next to him and says, hey, there was this Hebrew boy when we were in prison, and he interpreted my dream, and it was exactly happened, and he interpreted the butler who you had killed. And the Pharaoh is so exasperated. Now, he, that he's going to go outside of his circle. They actually worshipped him. 
Many, many of those pharaohs were gods. They buried them like they were gods. They mummified them, and they worshiped, all that stuff. So he brings in this Hebrew boy. So all of a sudden, he's in prison, and then he interprets the dream. Hit it dead on, said, this is what's going to happen. And then as he's standing there, the pharaoh says to those around him, who can we find that has an excellent spirit that could help? And he looks at this kid that was in prison, this kid that was sold by his brothers, who was falsely accused of rape, who's thrown in prison, and had spent the last 12 years of his, he spent his teenage life and most of his 20s as a slave. This isn't fair. What's going on here? But you see, one thing good about getting older is that you can look back and see the process to get you to the purpose, right? So what, and a lot of, most Christians, and all of us in general, we're terrible during the process. Why is this happening to me? You know, I didn't, I don't deserve this. You know, why did I get laid off? You know, why, you know, why? And oh, and we blame people, right? Oh, it's good. Men can blame the wife. Now, that's an original thing, you know. You remember when Adam took the apple from Eve, and God comes to him, and they're running around. Uh, now they're, they're trying to clothe themselves with, with fig leaves or whatever they got there because they realized they were naked. Things got to be pretty pure. I am very well aware when I have clothes on and clothes off. Most of you are. If you're not, you probably need some medication. So God says to, to Adam, what's up? And God knew what he did. And he said, oh, it's that wife, it's that woman you gave me. You took a rib, and it really messed me up. It's the woman's fault. We can always blame, oh, it's the pastor's fault. Oh, it's my boss's fault. It's the Democrat's fault. It's the Republican's fault. Careful, Arnie. You, you, I'm kept, you know. All right, so we always blame. And then we, then we build up cases against all these people that have messed with us. And we've got calculated little mental files. Now, at this particular moment, I'm going to get back at them. I am going to get them for what they've done to me. Now, literally, some of you have had some pretty bad things done to you. Now, I don't know if any of you have had your 11 brothers fake your death and sell you into slavery, right? Right? I told someone the other day when they were complaining about a situation, I said, man, look at Joseph. You, what you're going through is a walk in the park, right? So now here's the situation. Joseph is sold by his brothers. Now it's interesting to see the, the timeline here. What I just talked about, the great reveal, is coming in a few minutes about when he tells his brothers who he is. But now he's given this job, seven years of fantastic prosperity. We've got to save. We've got to build uh, storage bins. And he, he does that. Now, as I, th I get into the story, I'm thinking, now, if I became the prince of Egypt, I get out of jail, my father's a couple hundred miles away, I haven't seen him for 12 years, I'm going to say, on about the, about the third day on the job, I'm going to say, you know, give me a couple of chariots, I'm going to run down and see Dad, and I'm going to smear my brother's faces right in it. All right? He didn't do that. In fact, 
I, as I was thinking about it, because my first thing was, I would want to go see Dad. I'm out of jail. I got this great new job. Whoopee. You know what I mean? But he didn't. Because I think in his mind, he had to work through some things. Because now he knew he had the power of retribution. Right? I mean, he, he is second in charge, and in that time, the greatest culture known to man. Phenomenal stuff at his, at his beck and call. But then also, he had to go through the first seven years, because he told them there were going to be seven good years. What if he said, here's the meaning of your dream, seven good years, going to be great, and all of a sudden there was a famine and everything dried up. He'd have been dead about you know six months into the deal. You're a false prophet. So he goes through these seven years, and now he's storing up stuff, and now the famine hits. And he knows that the famine has hit where his dad lives and where his brothers live. Two years into it, the Bible says, after two years of famine, Jacob is saying, we're out of food. The grandkids don't have any food. We're going to be dead. But I hear up in Egypt that they're, they're, it's going great for them, and they're selling food, and they somehow saw this whole thing coming. And so he sends the 11 boys, 10 actually. He didn't send Benjamin because he had this fear that this is his other favorite. If the boys get him out, now he didn't think they did anything to Joseph at that time, because he didn't know. But he said, so he sends the other boys up there, and Joseph plays around with them a little bit. He knows who they are. After they'd leave, he, you know, put money back in their, in their, in their sacks. And, but the Bible says he would even go back in and cry, because he saw his brothers. But he had every reason in the world, when they finally did come, to do them in, because of, because of all the stuff that happened to him. And sad to say, a lot of Christians hold grudges, they don't realize that what they're going through is making them. I, have, I count Tim Johnson as one of my best friends. If you don't know Tim Johnson, you've missed a blessing. And I'd say that I was out to breakfast with him, and when we got done with breakfast, three little girls from his band at Bayport, and I was kidding, but I said, is he a good guy? Oh, he's a real good guy. The mother said, yeah, he's a good guy. But he went through horrific treatment for cancer. He actually wrote a book. If, if you want to read a book that will encourage your faith, after the service, talk to Tim. Give him whatever it's worth. He'll send it to you. But he talks about his faith being developed during those times in Milwaukee in the hospital. And I got the calls from Joan. And we didn't know if he was going to live. And bone marrow transplants and relapses. I mean, it's just been a roller coaster. But God has a purpose. Tim told me, he said, it, it's given him such a podium at the school. I mean, this all across the religious board. How can he do it? How can he be like that? You see what I mean? He could be madder than the daylights at God for allowing his family and himself to have to go through that. But he's not. Wow. So now back to Joseph. And then we're going to, if you have your Bibles, we're going to hit this now. And it won't take real long. Uh, the 45th chapter of the book of Genesis. Now, if you're new with the Bible, these are easy ones to find because... Genesis and Revelation. When I first became a Christian, oh, I loved when they preached because that was the first book and the last book. I could find it. Are we tuning something in here? Okay, I'm sorry. Now, this is the great reveal. Joseph has played the game a little bit with, with his brothers just to sort of test them. Now, let me just tell you this so you understand. He and his 11 brothers, and they became the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. They're the patriarchs. 
10 of the patriarchs, because I'm not throwing Benjamin in the mix, and I probably should say 9 because Reuben didn't want him to kill Joseph. These were who God chooses to be the pillars of, of, of Judaism. And they did some terrible stuff. Right? I mean, selling, you know, faking your brother's death and selling him is, you know, it's not like, you know, not inviting him to Thanksgiving because you're ticked at him. I mean, this is, are you there? And then listen to this. One of the brothers, his name is Judah. How many of you know where came out of the tribe of Judah? Hello? Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, if you go back a little bit, and then I'll give you the great reveal. Joseph was testing him. And he wanted to get his brother Benjamin up there. And so he, he told him, look, if I don't see your brother Benjamin, you guys are lying to me. You don't have that brother. I'm not going to sell you any more food. Now, he was just playing the game. Maybe that was a, a, a shell of a lie or whatever, because he was going to give him food anyhow. It was interesting when, he, when they told Jacob, look it, we're not going to get food unless we take Benjamin up to show this guy that we actually are 11 brothers and one is gone. Jacob actually said, that'll kill me. But he waited long, but he ran out of food and had to do it. But here's the deal. When they took Benjamin, here's what Judah said to Jacob. He said, Dad, if he tries to keep Benjamin, I will, I will, I will let him take me as a slave, whatever they want to do with me. So that redemption blood that was flowing through him that was going to flow right up to Mary and Joseph was already being peaked in it. See, he had messed up. But now he wanted to step in and, and save his other brother, Benjamin. So I just give you that. That's what I love about the Bible. I mean, this stuff all knits together. Those people say they don't believe the Bible. Sad, isn't it? Now the great reveal. Are you ready? I got about two minutes. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out. Now, he had his protectors around him. He was a big thing in, Jews, in, in, in Israel. All of you guys get out of here. These guys can stay. And he wept out loud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Now, I don't know if he cried so loud they heard him 10 blocks down the street at the, Pharaoh, at the Pharaoh's palace, but everybody was talking, man, our second-in-charge guy is weeping, and you can just hear the agony and the, and the, and the release in his crying. And he wept out loud, and they all heard it. Verse 3, Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father yet live? Actually, I'm taking that for a text next Sunday when I preach in Utah on Father's Day. Does my father yet live? There's something about dad, isn't there? There's something, and, and that whole thing, and, and he remembers back how his dad treated him, and he remembered the dreams. And listen to this. But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed. You know what they're thinking? Uh-oh. If, if that really is Joseph, we are toast. We're going to end up in prison. I don't, we're going to be indentured servants. And then they're thinking, what's he going to do? Because that would be the normal reaction. That would be retribution. That would be actually sort of deserved, right? But here's where the... This, and, and God's just revealed this to me this week. It's so neat. I've never seen it before to this extent. And Joseph said to his brothers, please, come near me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, 
Now he tells him, I'm, I am that Joseph whom you sold into slavery. Now, if I, if, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall for that one. I mean, they're probably thinking, oh my goodness, this is, oh, this is him. We're dead. Here it is. Whom you sold into slavery. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves. Because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. See, he saw that the process of the pit, the Potiphar house, the prison, and now his position in the palace is going to save him. You see, I'm telling you today, if you handle what you're going through, and you come out the other end, and, and this is what God wants us to be as Christians. There, there's a lot of you sitting here that if I said, write down three or four names that you would like to just see have an accident, get sick, crash their whatever, because they have done you dirty. Maybe it's a, a, an employer. Maybe you were sexually abused as a little kid. Or maybe you were in an abusive marriage and it was terrible and, and, and you just, you want to get, you want to get them back. And, and you're not going to be happy until you get them back. But see, if you really understand, everything we go through in our lives has a purpose. I just got back from San Diego a couple weeks ago. I was in meetings in San Diego. And when I was in, in San Diego, everybody wants to live in San Diego. I'll tell you why. The average temperature is 72 degrees. Humidity is about 35% every day, 365 days a year. Nice place. But you know, Christians are like that, though. They want their life to be 72 degrees. 35% humidity, money in their checkbook, everything cool, and then they're happy. Well, let me tell you, children, it doesn't go that way all the time. Back in the early 70s, when I was a youth pastor, there came on the scene an African-American singer, and he wrote a song called Through It All. Through It All. The line went like this, Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. And then there was a, a, another... Uh, uh, line that went, if it wasn't for the bad times, how would I know the good times? But no matter what, through it all. See, I'm telling you, if we can wake up the body of Christ, like Tim, he had every reason to be mad at God. Joan had every reason to be mad at God. And I could, but I marveled as I watched him go through that journey. And I thought, wow, what a deal. Now, it would have been nice if he'd have been healed the first day that he got the diagnosis. But because he persevered through it all, and he still had to deal with some stuff, even now, he has such a podium for Jesus at his school. He's probably affected more people for Christ at that school than a lot of pastors affect for Christ in all of their preaching time. Right? And see, Joseph grasped that. Now, here's what it is. Here's what I want you to get. I'm not going to belabor this too long. The subject is forgiveness. You have got to get to the point in your life where those that have abused you the most, that you can say to them, you know what, you might have meant it for bad, but God meant it for good. And I'm telling you what, Joseph didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus like we do. He knew about God. He had, a, he had all of those factors about God but he went through the process, and all of a sudden he's elevated. Then he delivers, 
And then God uses him to bring his family. And also, I want to tell you today, if he would have hopped in bed with Mrs. Potiphar, we wouldn't be having church today. Because he wouldn't have been put in a position to save his brothers and the tribe of Judah. They would have all starved and died. And sometimes you don't realize that how you react during the bad times and during the pain and during the suffering and people saying stuff about you that is half-truths. I've been there. I know all about that. But when you come out the other end, but now do not be grieved. For these past two years, the famine has been in the land. Now here's the deal. This is nine years after he got out of the slammer. He was patient. I think maybe he had to work his job, and he also had to think, I'm not ready to see those brothers yet. <laughs> maybe when he got out at first, he thought, oh, I'd love to just rub their nose it, throw them in a pit, sell them off to the Ishmaelites. But he, he realized there was a greater destiny in his life. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save you and give you a great deliverance. All of us need to be God's hand extended in delivering people from their sins and sharing Jesus with them. But the way most Christians act, and I'm just telling you the truth, when, when things get tough and you react like the world, are they going to come to you when they have problems and difficulties? That's why I can be in a restaurant with Tim, and we get up to walk out, and three little uh, 12-year-old girls come up and say, oh, teacher, teacher, and they love him, and they can't wait to be in his band classes next year. And the mother sitting, and I was joking, I said, do you really like this guy? And they go, and his mother said, they really do. He's got a testimony because he went through some garbage, and he didn't fade, and he didn't fold, and he, he didn't look for retribution and being mad at God. And, and some of you have all of those situations cooking in your life. He said, now he says this. I love this. He said, hurry up. Hurry up and go to my father. His dad didn't even believe it until he saw the dust from the wagon wheels when they were sending all the... They, you know, he said, hey, Dad, Joseph's really alive and, and he's down there in Egypt and he's the prince of Egypt. And Jacob couldn't believe it. And then all of a sudden he heard the rattling of the wheels and the dust was coming up because of the famine. And he looked out and saw the wagons full of provisions. And he said, I will go see my son. Joseph is yet alive. But I wish the spirit of Joseph would be alive in God's people. But see, many times we get derailed from the purpose. I'm going to close with this. Let's, let's hop ahead to the New Testament. And I was studying crucifixion again. It was a cruel way to die. But something caught my attention. In this, in this study that I was doing, it said that most people who were going to be crucified died before they got to the cross. And that, what do you mean? Well, what they did, and, and Jesus, the same thing, before they took him to the cross, they lashed him to a whipping post. And they took the cat of nine tails, and when it hit the body, it would literally tear chunks of flesh, I mean, down to the bone. A high percentage of the people who were crucified died from the whipping. I thought to myself, why didn't Jesus die? from that cruel whipping and literally his guts hanging out for you and me. Why didn't he die? I'll tell you why he didn't die. I got it in a moment. Because his purpose was the cross. And he was not going to die before he fulfilled his purpose. I mean, it was such an ugly sight. 
on the cross, that prophetically you hear spoken that God had to turn his head. He could not look on what they did to his boy. Think about it. That should put things in perspective for you. He did that for you. And then he, he wants you to act like Joseph. He wants you to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And see, a lot of you are sitting here today and you haven't handled the pit very well. You haven't handled the temptations that come. You haven't handled the prisons. Yet you love God and but see what it is, you're holding back. You're, you have unforgiveness in your life and you're miserable. And church should be a place of interaction. Not just where we sing a few songs and hear a timely little message. You know, give you a little pablum from the pulpit and burp you at the door on the way out. There needs to be some serious business done before God today. This chorus. You know how you get, so stand up. We're going to be done here in a minute. But we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. But how would you exalt God the best? By admitting that you've got things in your life and they grip you and they dominate your thinking and you can't wait to get back and even when you're not involved and something happens to that person that was bad to you, you just say, praise God. Well, God's getting them. You've got to release all that stuff. Here's what we're going to do. And I, I know if most of you are honest, you hold some of that stuff in you. I have. I spent a year and a half, a few years back, just miserable and mad. As I saw my reputation being trashed with half-truths and, and innuendos. But I learned, for me to get out of that pit, I had to forgive. And it's been glorious ever since. Not that I haven't had some problems. Let's sing it together. And here's what you're going to do. I'm going to sing it once with you or twice. And then if you want to just totally be set free of all of those garbage things that have been done to you or where you haven't been handled right or abused, whatever. And maybe it's just as simple as feeling you're overlooked at work and someone else got the promotion and you would like to have a heart-to-heart -heart with the supervisor. You want him to get fired because he missed your talent. We exalt you. Let's sing it. Sing it. Above all the earth, thou art exalted far above all God. Sing it. And you know, don't be frightened. I mean, maybe you're not comfortable raising your hands, but don't be, don't be, don't be frightened to surrender. Heart, heart, lift your heart. you exalted.
many of you have stuff you want to get under the blood? You want to say, and you're a Christian. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. But you say, Pastor Arnie, I'm going to step out today. I'm going to come and stand at an altar. We're building an altar. Jacob built altars. Abraham built altars. We built an altar here for you to come and give the sacrifice of that thing you've been holding or that number of issues. It will set you free. You don't have to come. You can walk out with it, but why walk out with an anchor when you can walk out light? There are a number of you that you feel like your feet are nailed right there. I'm not admitting that, and I understand that. But see, I have a responsibility before God to someday I'm going to stand before God, and he's going to say, Arnie, how come you didn't sing that one more time? Because there was a lady that just needed an extra nudge so she didn't have to carry that the rest of her life. There was a brother there that just needed to make a move. And you, I will tell you, the, the way you exalt the Lord most is being a forgiver. Churches are stymied and relationships are stymied and our country is hurt because the Christian nation doesn't forgive. And now, Heavenly Father, you have honored your word. You've honored your servant because there are people who have been carrying baggage and many times it's very legitimate as far as the, the perpetrator and the crime. But God, I pray right now that we would lay it all at your feet because your purpose, even when you're on the whipping post, by his stripes we are healed. And then you move to the cross when you could have died there to give us salvation and healing. But Lord, I pray right now that just simply you will settle on my brother and my sister. You will settle on them with a peace of God that passes all understanding. And Lord, that they would be out today, no matter what situation they're in, and be modern types of Christ, just like Joseph. Release them now. In fact, pray this with me. Jesus, release me from bitterness, anger, set me free, so that I might be able to deliver, like Joseph delivered, to my family and friends who are in need. Amen. God bless you.